the deluge has happened. Um, it's no longer good enough to just do content marketing. Everyone does it. You got to do it better now. So the deluge is upon us. Today we have with us Doug Kessler uh, coming in from, uh, from England. Are you in London? Where in England are you? Yeah, London, West London. West London. Park here. You know, I know you're a Yank, but you said that almost like a Brit. How long have you been there? Been here 30 years, but I don't think I've lost any accent. I really hope not, but I do get teased on both sides of the Atlantic for, for forgetting which idiom I should be using. Can you fake a good English accent? I could do it, but uh, I'd be like Dick Van Dyke, you know. It, would, it might pass for Yanks, but I'd get teased merciless here if I tried. Got it. Okay. okay. So you are co-founder and creative director of Velocity Partners, a London and New York-based B2B agency specializing in content marketing. Um, we're delighted to have you with us. Uh, welcome to the Earn Media Podcast. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So... What is this content marketing deluge you write about? Yeah, I guess, you know, I first wrote about that in a piece called Crap about five years ago about this real worry. Like we were, content marketing was new. Everyone was excited by it. And everyone started to worry, like, what happens if everyone starts doing this? Because in the beginning, it was unbelievable. It was like, if you just put an ebook out, like the world came to you. It was amazing. If you were the first person in your market, first brand to do it, it was hot. And so we all started to worry, oh, everyone's doing it, it's going to ruin it. And it was kind of a forward worry back then. Now it's like, it's happened. The deluge has happened. Um, it's no longer good enough to just do content marketing. Everyone does it. You got to do it better now. So the deluge is upon us. It's uh, it's we're all we're all swimming in it. So so how do you, how do you stand out in a in a you know in a crowded world with all this crappy content? Yeah, I guess in a way it's the same as in marketing. How do you stand out? It's you know just do it better. You know you got to be more ambitious, and just doing it isn't enough. In the early days, and in fact. A lot of B2B brands, brands are still like this. It's like they just want to do it. Like, see, we're doing it. It's not good enough just to do it. You got to do it better than everyone else. You got to be quite ambitious and say, let's do something great here. You know, it's got to be smart, fresh spin, a new perspective on a, on a timely issue that matters. Be authoritative. Work really hard. The short answer is work really hard. It's it, it, The work pays off. You know, if you're taking shortcuts, your audience is going to see it. If you say, no, I'm going to put value into this thing, whatever that value is, you're going to work to get that value people get that and it resonates. You can still leap out with content. But, you know, everyone has such a short attention span nowadays. So, I mean, I guess, how do you get beyond content dreck in a world of short attention spans? Yeah, it's a good one. I mean, actually, I think the short attention span thing is over, over worried about. And, and isn't that true? I think it's a little bit of an excuse for people who fail to hold people's attention. You know, I mean, people are still sitting through like two and a half hour, like um, Lord of the Rings movies. Somebody, you know, somebody sat them there for two and a half hours. You know, I think people will still stay for smart, entertaining, fresh, engaging content. There's no real limit. You can keep them there. You know, it is your job. You got to keep that attention. It's not easy. But, I, you know, for me, I don't want to panic. I think there's a lot of thing about snackable. It's got to be snackable. It's got to be snackable. You know, actually, snacks are good. It's my second favorite form of self-abuse. But meals are pretty, pretty important, too. 
So like when you're putting together a program, let's say you've got to author, I don't know, blog posts for a client, you know, how do you avoid writing me too blog posts when you're basically trying to outrank a bunch of blog posts that are already ranking? So really the only way to do that in a bubble filter is me too. Well, you know, I think it's, there's a couple things. One granularity, like getting granular on it, break it down to a thing you can own, you know, really own. Um, another is timeliness, you know, things that ranked yesterday over time, the world changes. And that's one of the reasons we'll never be done, like finished making content because the world changes. There's always a new thing to interpret for your audience. And so, you know, there's always a way, I guess if you go up against and you're like, look, I'm going up against the Mayo Clinic on this cancer issue. You're not going to beat the Mayo Clinic on cancer, you know, but you, you, you get a fresh spin and you can find your audience. So I think it's, it's being smart about that, you know, pick battles you can win and then work them hard, you know. I mean, honor your audience, you know, respect your audience and give them that value. I, I have a pretty active blog. I publish pretty regularly. So I would say probably daily, I get a pitch from somebody who wants to write a post for my blog. Early on, I used to think, wow, this is great. I'm gonna get all this great content. And I would say yes, and they would send me these posts that were so full of nothingness that, I mean, I basically would have just had to rewrite them from scratch. And I did a few times just because I felt bad. And then I realized, you know what, I take one look at it and now I don't even respond to those. So, and and you, you you do sometimes download these eBooks, you know, these 36 page eBooks that are basically three sentences, you yeah. know, pumped in, stretched out in 36 pages, you know, no, no real substance there. How yeah. do you pass that? Well, that's one of the big obstacles is that shitty content and good content, they look the same from the outside, like the cover, everyone's got good at titles and, you know, the cover looks good and it's, hey, it's 36 pages, there's a form, must be good, you know, give it a go. And then you get disappointed later. And I think a big part of, for me, about content marketing is you manage expectations and then you exceed them, you know. You don't promise something you're not gonna deliver. Don't say the definitive guide if it's not, it's just a bunch of tips, you know. And, you know, manage that and then exceed those expectations. But for me, it is about creating a great content brand. So a brand, a con- you know, a brand in, in your product is, it gets a reputation over time for great things. And we need the same thing in our content brands that you're known for, you're famous for the content you put out. Like it, if it's from these guys, it's gonna be smart. It's gonna be relevant to me. It's gonna be well-crafted, you know, it, and just having that reputation, build your content brand is huge. And every time you put out something shitty, you are undermining your content brand. And every time you put that extra work in and, and put out something great, you're building your content brand. And once you've got one and the world thinks, yeah, your content's worth time, things get easier, you know? Until you do, it's, 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 it's hard. Yeah. It's definitely risky to put out a new idea because you could be wrong. You know, it's a lot easier to just sort of jump on the gravy strain and regurgitate what everyone's saying already. But to be a thought leader, it takes guts. You know, you have to actually put something out there. Yet most of the stuff we see out there is stuff we all know. And so that makes it so much more difficult for new brands to break through because everyone's just expecting more stuff we all know. You know, we roll our eyes at these promises of these great white papers or reports or webinars that are going to teach us to, you know, get social media followers while we sleep. So, I mean, how do you compete in that environment? 
Well, in a way, I think it's better to compete in an environment when everyone's being lazy and me too. That's what I call an opportunity. You know, if everybody out there was doing fresh new perspectives, I would be worried. You know, it's like, how am I going to break out of that? Whereas breaking out of a, a, a market where most people are trying to do what looks and smells and feels like content marketing or like B2B marketing, they're just aiming for the average. Like that's what they're aiming for. It's not like they're failing to hit great and landing in average, that's actually the target. They're setting out to do stuff that looks like what they think it should look like. And that means what everyone else is doing. And that's a great opportunity for everybody else. Because in that market, you think, all right, what's a fresh spin? What's a surprising thing? What's a curious take on this? And it may be the issues that everyone is talking about right now, but it's gotta be a fresh take on that. It's gotta be, what's your spin on it? What's counterintuitive? What makes someone lean in and go, whoa, that's weird that you'd say that, you know, what, what's the fresh thing here? If you really can't come up with any fresh spin on the thing, move on to some other topic, you know? So, I mean, you represent some huge brands. I mean, you've worked for Slack, Sprint, Iron Mountain. When you think about, you know, these types of, 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 of great content brands, what is it that sets them apart from the rest of the uh, brands out there that are creating content? Well, it is that it is the hard work of of taking your audience seriously and saying, look, we respect that they're not idiots and that we're not going to feed them junk. And so there's that there's this kind of commitment to doing that. But there is another thing. It's kind of like mojo. It's like loving what you do and it comes through and it's confidence. Confidence is probably the key word in all this, that you your work is confident because you're good at what you do and you're in your work, your product, whatever, and you love what you do, and you're good at this thing called content marketing or marketing, which is how to engage people in it. You enjoy it. And that pleasure of doing this job comes through. Like it ought to be fun or you're not doing it right, you know? So my favorite brands, you know, are the ones who really believe in their what they're up to. And then that comes through because they've got that mojo and confidence, some attitude, some voice. Voice is a huge part of a great brand. And so those are the ones that I think leap out. So what are the six principles of great content brands? Well, in that crap book, I listed six. I wonder, I might, I might, well, I would constantly be tweaking them, but I know that one of those was be the buyer, like, um, you know, be empathetic, start with them. And so many B2B marketers start with us and our products and what we want to say. And that's great. You got to master that message, obviously. But it's like, all right, start with where they are and work backwards and build that bridge between those two points in a way that they're going to relate to. So that be a, be the buyer's big, um, be strategic about it, not just one off is certainly one of them. Um, be prolific, I think. You're super prolific. You know the value of that. You want to keep you know, people coming back, um, you know, being passionate about it, giving a damn, I think is huge. I think I'm amazed how still that that's not a very common part of all this. Somebody who actually cares about what's going on here. Those are some of the things, you know, that, um, I guess, you know, the last being be tough on yourself, be honest with yourself. Are you just phoning it in? You know, are you just going through the motions. And if so, you know, don't publish that one, just hold it back and do something you love, do something you, you believe in. So um, on my sister podcast, the B2B lead gen podcast, I was uh, speaking with the chief marketing officer of AHRAFs, Tim Solo. And he told me that, you know, they've tried producing really detailed oriented content uh, you know, that would give you a leg up if you read it. 
Uh, but it doesn't rank as well as simple content because people open a longer post and they put it beside a shorter post and they basically say, well, this post is going to take me three hours to understand this one, five minutes. And they close the longer, more nuanced piece of content and consume the simple content. Yeah. So, I mean, how do you make B2B content about complex context, content that's easy to consume? Yeah, it's a good, it's, it's the challenge, isn't it? And it's, you know, it's knowing who your audience is. If that audience really wants the quick bites and the quick tips, well, that, if that's your audience you need to sell to, you got to give them what they want. Um, I wonder if, um, if maybe, you know, they're getting a mismatch there of who they really want to talk to because some great people marketing SEO and search um, technology, like Moz does it in videos, Whiteboard Fridays, you know, those are complex things they're going through. They're doing a video a week for like nine years they've done this. So, and it's a person who's talking to camera. So there's this kind of teaching vibe going on. They're being super generous. It's quite granular. And maybe it's easier to explain when it's a person going, see, it works like this. So they found a way to humanize it and make it approachable and easy to consume, but it's still pretty techy, you know? So I just think there's always a way. And if you know your audience well, I mean, techies don't want the lightweight stuff. If you're selling to devs and you give them this like slick thing that's two minutes and doesn't have any there there, they ain't coming back. So they want depth. So I guess it's knowing your audience well and giving them what they really want. Yeah. So, so what is this idea of insane honesty in content marketing? And why is it something you felt the need to make a point about? Yeah, insane honesty, this is one of my favorite ones. You know, this, I'm amazed it's not done more. You know, the idea of it is it's not insane honesty. It's, it's not just professional ethical honesty, like don't lie, that's normal honesty. But it's take your weakest point and not just admit to it, but shove it out to the front, make it showcase it, like celebrate it. And it's so surprising to people that you get all sorts of great points for it, like honesty and trust and people want to, you know, you get attention because it's such a weird thing to do. You know, big example of it would be the famous VW ads when they came out when cars had fins and they were these big things, this weird little bug shaped car comes out and it had like, twice the miles per gallon that the cars, they could have just talked about fuel efficiency, but their first ads were, you know, the headline was ugly and they just went right there and they just admitted they got this hideous thing. The whole campaign is unbelievable. If you, if you Google great VW ads and put it on images in the search, you'll just see tons and they're insanely honest. They're just saying, yeah, we're ugly. You know, this is what we're all about. And it's not about status, you know, and just a, you know, a brilliant, brilliant example of insane honesty. Um, so I love it as a technique. I think the whole idea of, you know, if your ideal prospects really care about that thing that's weak for you, you better fix it because, you know, that shouldn't be a weakness. But mostly your weaknesses are things your ideal prospects don't actually care about at all. Like for VW, they didn't care about the status or the looks. They wanted all the other good things. And so by pushing it to the front, you're like, getting a lot of attention and people saying, all right, I can trust these guys. If they tell me it gets great fuel efficiency and I'll believe them now because they admitted something pretty big there. Can you think about a, a B2B brand that you work for where you used insane honesty as part of the campaign? 
Yeah, we have. I mean, we'll use some, what we try to do with a lot of clients is who is this not for? And it might not be like a hero piece, but it's somewhere in the piece. You will do a who's, who's this not for? And you just list and say, look, this piece of kit isn't great if you live in this kind of, if you know, your office building is like this and it's all metal, this kind of little Wi-Fi thing ain't going to work for you. And you just list them. And it's like marketers impulse is hide that stuff. Don't tell them who it's not for, you know, but it's a great thing to do because I, I think of marketing as it's a magnet, but it's also a filter. You've got to filter out the people who aren't going to buy anyway, once they get close to you. So you might as well tell them right up front what the real truth is. And it's an honest and trusting thing to do. So if, you know, I love to have somewhere in the content mix for any brand is who are we really not for? And, and that any brand can do. Like the shell of a building on the back lot of a movie studio, a website is just a digital facade. Imagine how frustrated you'd be if you showed up at a store to buy something and it was just a facade. A website that's just an online brochure is like a back lot facade. It looks nice from the outside, but it doesn't work. Visitors can't configure and price your products or services themselves, and there's no plumbing, so leads don't flow into a sales pipeline to be qualified, right? A website is just a presentation layer of a digital stack. If you're not aware that your, re that your website is just one piece of a larger puzzle, you've got an analog business with a digital facade. And this, in my experience with first timers, is often the case. We're living through a period of transition Demand for digital transformation leadership has never been higher. There are more companies that need digital expertise than there are digital experts to hire. If you want to learn what those skills are and how to develop them, download my new white paper on the 10 essential digital marketing skills at ericschwartzman.com forward slash essential skills. Doug, what is the biggest obstacle you come up against when you're putting a content marketing program together? I would say, I mean, there's, there are a lot of things that potentially you can get wrong. I think maybe the biggest is stakeholder alignment, you know, getting your stakeholders aligned on what you're doing here. That misalignment is fatal to any program, any long-term thing, any single piece. If one stakeholder thinks this is an awareness play and the other wants to do lead gen, no single thing is going to please them both. And you better surface that misalignment and solve it early. And so on some of the core stuff like goals and who the ideal prospect is, not just who might buy, but who is our best prospect, that kind of alignment around those core important things is absolutely critical and misalignment, totally fatal. Took me way too long in my career to finally kind of figure that out, having failed so many times over the years of, and realizing why it was such a great idea. Well, you never align the stakeholders. Like they didn't want the same things you wanted. And so that effort, now we spend a fair amount of time getting stakeholders aligned and, and before we start bringing any ideas or work. And once they are, you know, you, you can do anything. You can really, you can do some amazing stuff, but you got to do that work up front. And if you don't, you will be hit by that stick at some point. So for me, that's the big one, stakeholder alignment. And I imagine that takes a good deal of time. It does, but it saves time in the long run. You know, you front load that effort 
because otherwise you're doing iterations. We call it kind of clay pigeons. You throw up an idea, some stakeholder kills it. You throw up another one, another one kills it. Or you iterate to 20 drafts because they're all wanting different things. So you can, you go much faster later in the program once everyone's, the vectors are lined up, you know? And so, yeah, it, there is, it's a little bit slower to start, um, but uh, it, it pays off that front loading of time. I've got to think there are some clients that come to you and you wince. So, so what is the single biggest threat to a content marketing program? Uh, you know, I think the biggest threat to content marketing as a discipline is content marketing. And, you know, it's the fact that so many people are doing it not very well. And I think, you know, the biggest threat, if someone were to come and, and I wouldn't get excited about this prospect, it would be a kind of tick box exercise. It would be like a me too story and a me too strategy and a, you know, going through the motions kind of thing doesn't excite us very much. I think you wanna get weird shaped problems that you can really sink your teeth into. And you wanna get an ambitious marketer on the other side of the table who just loves this stuff and wants to do something great, you know? And if they got some power in their own company um, and can make change happen, great things are going to happen, you know? So I think the lack of ambition is probably the one that's, that's the most deadening in all of this, you know, not even aiming high. Can you think of a, a campaign you did last year that you're most proud of that really, you really got excited about? We did some cool stuff. We did some cool stuff. We're doing starting stuff right now with Calm for Business. Calm is the app. It's perfectly timed in that, you know, the pandemic, everybody is, you know, anxiety skyrocketed. And uh, this is, I don't know if you know the app Calm. It's fantastic. It's, I'm a customer and so is my son. See, kids like it too. I've loved it for you. So, you know, I got super excited about when they guys, they came around. It's been incredibly fun. Uh, and it's the business side. So it's going to HR and benefits teams and saying, get this for your whole company. And it's a great offer. It's a great product. It's, um, it's just all feel good. Like the mission is a ha making people happier and healthier at work. And when you believe you're actually doing that, that's a cool feeling. So it's a, it's, that's one of the really fun ones we're into right now. We've had some. For those some, who've never heard of, heard of it, tell us what it is. And then maybe just give us a, you know, a sort of a, uh, an abbreviated synopsis of the program that you did for them. Okay, I'm still working with them closely and it's content marketing and it's, you know, a brand as well, a business brand. So what Calm is, is an app. It's really a platform, but it's it starts with an app. You download the app and it's full of content about sleep, helping you get to sleep, sleep stories like Matthew McConaughey or something, or John McEnroe reading the rules of tennis in a really boring voice. And you go to sleep. I don't think I've got to the end of a sleep story yet. You always fall asleep. And then there's meditation stuff and breathing exercises. So I can do a five minute reset in a stressy day and just put on the headphones, listen to the thing, do the breathing, and my day started over. It's like I got my energy back. And so it's great for managing stress and anxiety. And the way companies are doing it is saying, all right, we're going to make this available to everybody in the company. So the company buys it for everybody as a benefit, a health, mental wellness benefit. So that's the product. And what we're doing is trying to find, you know, what makes the brand special. And there's plenty, luckily. And then it's what content can engage the HR and benefits people to say, oh, this is, this issue is really interesting and we can make progress on it. We can help. And luckily 
HR people, benefits people, they want to help their employees. So, you know, at a time like this, it's, it's a hot thing, you know, so um, great brand and great consumer brand and now becoming a great business brand. So just conceptually approaching a brand like that, how do you find the intersection between, you know, the perceived need of the folks in HR and benefits and the brand? Okay, well, we think a lot about who's the ideal, who's the best prospect. So not everybody in HR is going to love it, but there are certain HR types, like people who are very progressive and strategic. They're not, they're just not tick box administrators. They want to help their people. And so we get that in our mind. It's not ROI, like they will be more productive if we give them this app, you know, like you easily could have sold on that because the benefits are there. Like, you know, the ROI and productivity, you could sell on that. But it's like, no, our target audience want to help their people, you know, so they, they actually do. And so it's all right, well, let's do content that helps them help their people. And the content itself is part of that mission, you know. And so that's a big guide. And, and you know, you talk about issues like, well, are we always talking about solving stress and anxiety? Or are we also talking about the positives of focus and being present at work and being a collaborator, a positive collaborator. And, you know, so those are the kinds of issues you tease out around the brand. And then it starts to gel into a, a living thing. Tell us about your big fat B2B content marketing strategy checklist. <laughs> it's our longest title too. And uh, it's, um, it's really kind of a beginner's guide. And it, it, it's a roll up your sleeves. We've done kind of mission content and content about ranting about some issue or other and, you know, weird little side issue content for fun. And that one's more a roll up your sleeves. And it's a beginner kind of guide. It's, it's really touches all the basics of goals and ideal prospect and trigger events, some weird things like a trigger event that would make someone want your thing all of a sudden, like seek out these trigger events or sweet spot. Where do you have an authority that, you know, where you're the best source of, of information on this topic, you know? So it's a like, get out your pencil, print it out and fill this thing out. And hopefully at the end, you've got, you've got a strategy. Cause what we found is many, many people don't have content strategies. And the real reason why is no one really knows what one is. The word strategy is a million things to a million people. It's really quite simple. Where are you now? Where do you want to be? Map the course in between and, and just get it on paper so people can agree to it and you're on your way. Now, is that something you can give us a link to that we can put in the show notes? Sure, definitely. It's there. There's no forms on our site, all our content. You can just come and eat. Okay, great. So in the show notes for this podcast, uh, we'll have a link to the big fat B2B content marketing strategy checklist. Thanks for that. Um, you know, talented writers seem increasingly scarce this, these days. Amen. How do you find, interview, and continuously motivate writers to produce their best work? That's a good one. And you're right. I think it's probably, for me, it's, it's you know, such a critical part of all this is great writers. And what we have found over the years, we spend all our time constantly looking and constantly filtering and, and meeting and, and, you know, trying to find, I think we have an absolutely amazing team. And what we have found on the writing team is, it's really about thinking more than writing. I think a lot of people think writing is wordsmithing and making pretty sentences. It happens way before then. I mean, great writers, they're curious and analytical and, uh, they have a fresh perspective on things. They're original thinkers. You know, 
it's that and before ever typing at all they're interesting people to talk to and they're insatiably curious you know especially in b2b tech we're all tech in in our agency in velocity and so you want people that's like they see something their first thing is how's that oh how's that work who use that what's that all about how are you gonna you know and to be curious about tech to be curious about business and marketing itself which is changing if you're into two of those three things you're gonna love the work if you're into all three as i happen to be it's like the best job in the whole world and so we're looking for people for whom it's the best job in the whole world and if we get that fit right and the motivation takes care of itself because we just got this great client list of great work to do with really interesting projects what what's the what's the the, the range of salaries for someone in that line of work Boy, that's a good one. I really don't. I mean, it's different in the UK and the US and we're hiring on both sides. Um, you know, beginner writers are in the 30s and, you know, you can go all the way up into the 80s, you know. Um, so it's it's a big range. Our writers, our senior writers tend to be strategists too. We don't have a planning department. Our writers get heavily involved in strategy. So we're it's not a typical writing gig for us. And so we tend to be a bit senior heavy too. So, you know, sometimes uh, when I register for content that I download, sometimes I use sort of my secondary email address that I don't check all the time. And sometimes I use my primary email address, right? And obviously, if you're a marketer, you want that primary email address. So what's the difference between content that gets prospects to actually lower their defenses and register with their primary email address versus, you know, their secondary spam email address. Yeah, that's a good one. I think the stuff we talked about, about a great content brand is a start, but there's also this signal that's like a pheromone you send out that says, this one's going to be different. You know, this one's got some mojo to it. This attitude and energy voice is a big part of that. The way you describe it, like the big fat content marketing strategy checklist, you know, the big fat part obviously is, extraneous you know uh, most many editors would cut that right out but the whole point is that's there for this mojo signal that you're going to enjoy reading this it's going to be fun and we try to make it fun and you know so that's a big part of it is are you sending out the signal that says this one's going to be worth it you know you're going to enjoy this i think there is an entertaining entertainment part of our job here we we have to entertain as we as we do the kind of education work so that's a big part of it. I, I would, for me, I know another part of it is trust. Like, do I trust these guys? Are these guys going to bury me in spam or do they look fairly cool and they're just going to give me stuff that, that matters. Now you're obviously you're a content agency and you're authoring content that you hand over to clients, right? And the clients have to merchandise that content in an environment that is a po- positive customer user experience in a trustworthy, you know, page that looks like it's safe to register for. Um, obviously, you want your content to generate returns for your clients. So, what do you do when you hand over the content to a client that lacks the backend infrastructure to convert against it? Yeah, I mean that was a problem a lot early, and so we grew as an agency, and we're. We are a content marketing agency, but we're also a 
much more full service kind of BB agency. We have a content performance team and we have the plumbers and the marketing automation people, the devs. We got that because we realized we were going to be judged by the whole result. And it, we didn't want to be at the mercy of someone who might not have a good team on content promotion or, or merchandising, as you say. And so we help with it. You know, if it's a problem, we'll help. And we want, we want to spot that. I think in the early, more luckily, more and more, you know, B2B teams are accountable teams now and you get really good teams on the other side of the table who really know what to do with the stuff. And so it, there's always a, a spectrum, but I'm happy to say it's less frequent that it's like, guys, all you did was stick it on your website and, and no one's going to come. You know, it's, it's a lot less frequent. It's much more, wow, that's, this is a great all sing and all dancing program. Hey, let's role play a scenario, okay? So I have a book coming out called The Digital Pivot. It's about how to pivot your business and your career from the old to the new way of doing business. And it comes out in spring. And let's say I wanted to hire Velocity Partners to market my book for me. What could you do for me and how much would it cost? What would we do? Well, if when we started, we'd be talking about, all right, who do you want to reach here? And it would be all about that audience. And also... Here's the audience. Woke digital immigrants they're already woke digital immigrants so these are people who already get it it sounds like but they can't so, do it but they can't do it right they know they need to do it they're not really sure what it is they're woke but they're digital immigrants and they don't know how to do it okay so there's a little bit of teaching dad to dance a little bit there um yeah, I mean, you already know the answer to this because you do it all the time. And what you're doing is sharing a whole lot of what you know and your expertise in all these different forums and channels to bring them closer to the, the person who wrote it into the book. And so, you know, I, I wouldn't take the gig because you know what you're doing and, and you... Um, I don't have the time, man. I need the pros from Dover, literally. <laughs> you hit the beach. <laughs> yeah, okay, if it's just a bandwidth issue, but then you do know what to do. The strategy is get your expertise out there. You already have that. You've got yourself an audience, so it's marketing to that audience. Um, you know, you can atomize the book and get some of the bits out there um, in all the different channels. So, you know, you'd be someone who we wouldn't presume to teach how to, how to market a book. I would imagine, based on this interview, there's a quote for you in the book. Uh, let's change the scenario. What does it cost to hire Velocity Partners? What does it cost to sink your teeth into a, a good B2B content marketing program that's going to work? Yeah, like what we're looking for is we know what works is a, is a commitment to something long term. We tend not to do the one off content pieces. Come make us an ebook. It's much more about now we do strategic programs over six, 12 months and they can be. 100K to 300K to, you know, several million for some of our clients. And that's big long-term programs where you're iterating and learning and collecting data and stuff like that. And the, the front strategy might be 40, 50 grand to really do like an eight, 10 month, 10 week um, engagement to figure out this story, you know, and we get in there and we do a lot of input. We talk to clients, customers, and so that's kind of a, one of the doors into us and, and a good one, because then we know we got a great story and we're ready to take it to market. And that's what we love. And part of it, you know, what excites us, you know, the money's a part of it, but it's got to be a cool challenge. You know, you use the word pivot for your book and it's about 
companies at an inflection point, you know, they got to change something. They got to change perceptions. They got to crack into a market. They got to over, you know, disrupt a market. These are the fun things that, that we just love doing. So you've written a lot about the how and the what of B2B content marketing, but what about the why? Why did you decide to make this your career? I mean, you've been doing it for 30 years. Talk to us about the why behind Doug Kessler and B2B content marketing. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a constant question because you think, I've got friends who do glamorous things or really important like world things, climate change things that I know you're into too. And, and it's like, well, why do I still love this work? I know I love it, but why? And I was asking myself that a lot. And so I wrote a piece called The Search for Meaning in B2B. And, and that tried to tease out what it is that I love about this. And it's things like, I really like helping companies grow. When they're a good company, I love helping that happen. Like a company's a cool thing to have. And I like the individual clients. I really love the idea that I want to help their career. Like if they put their faith in us, I want them to succeed. And so I get a lot of juice from helping someone do a great thing in their company. And, you know, working with talented people who are super committed, like all in on this stuff. They're not holding back. I love that. I love learning. That's my number one motivation. I just love learning new stuff and, you know, figuring out how businesses work. Those are the things that I teased out of my soul to put into this search for meaning in B2B piece. And it was a good answer for me. It wasn't one big why. It was a bunch of littler whys that added up to, uh, hey, this is a career worth doing. And this is one I'm proud of. You know, this is one I've, I've really enjoyed. And so I, I, I urge everybody to try that exercise, figure out what is it in there that you love? Because it's also your guide to your choices in your career. Once you figure out what it is, then you start to say, all right, now I know what kind of people I want to work with, what kind of clients I want to work with. You know, it, it's really quite a good thing. So the piece is called Search for Meaning in B2B. And it's, it's my version of answering that very important question you just asked. And um, I think everyone should be asking it and answering it for themselves. Well, Doug, thanks a lot for taking the time to, to join us today. Um, for anyone listening, if you want to support this podcast, rate us and post a comment to our profile page on Apple Podcasts. And join us next week at the same time for a conversation with Michael Mann. He's the director of Earth System Science at Penn State. And we're going to talk about his new book, The New Climate War, The Fight to Take Back Our Planet, which comes back, which comes out this month. Um, Doug Kessler, co-founder and creative director at Velocity Partners in New York and London. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Eric.